We're back to the Neil Haley Show and also the media giant effect. And you know what? I've not had a lot of celebrity athletes on lately. I've been interviewing all celebrities and all types, and I miss the whole sports thing. But my guest today is a Buffalo Sabres Hall of Famer, even though I'm a Penguin fan, and an NHL legend, Don Luce. Don, thanks for stopping by. And, you know, it's amazing to look at hockey when you played to hockey today, right? Is it a totally different thing? Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, to a certain extent, the the rules have really changed, and and the game has changed. Uh, it's not quite the physical game it used to be, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a faster game. I th I think that the, the players are talented, but I don't know if they have uh, the opportunity to do the stick handling and stuff that they did when back when the, the rules were different. Exactly. When the rules were different and you think about things in different ways. Now, did you always want to be a hockey player? I know you grew up in Canada. Was that your dream? I've talked to so many people that, you know, ended up doing something else from Canada. Everyone had the dream of play hockey. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was my, my dream from day one. And, uh, you know, I just fell in love with the game. Definitely. So let's talk about specifically, when did you know you were good enough to play in the NHL? How old were you? <laughs> When did I know? I guess um, when I knew, or when it when was you knew? Like you know how we like as a uh, former professional athlete myself, I knew, and a college athlete in basketball, professional athlete in pro wrestling, I knew that I was good enough to get to the next level and next level after that. But in, in basketball, I knew I could play college basketball. I had a certain time period. When did you know you were good enough to play in the NHL? Well, I think that. I always felt in myself that I um, probably when I was probably 16, 17 years old, I thought, you know, I thought I, I had a, a chance. I didn't know how much of a chance, but I really felt that I, if I dedicated myself, I could get there. And I did, <laughs> thankfully. 16, 17 years old. And in that time, that's when you guys are juniors and stuff, right? Playing yeah, junior. well, I, yeah, I left home when I was 14 to play junior. Oh, my gosh. And so that was your only – that's the dream, play play in the NHL. So what team did you play for first in the NHL? Well, I was uh, drafted by the New York Rangers first. And uh, I spent two years with in their organization uh, with Emil Francis. Uh, great organization, uh, great people. Um Enjoyed my time there, but then I got traded to uh, the Detroit Red Wings, and I played a year there. And uh, basically, I asked to be traded because they were going through a whole transition and stuff. And and uh, that's when Punch traded for me to go come to Buffalo and spent ten years in Buffalo. And so that's where you, if you were going to choose a jersey, it would be Buffalo Sabers all the way, right? Of the teams you played for. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, you know, I had my most success there and, and we had really good teams that in that era. So it was a great, it was a great time and uh, great teammates. And it's great to be in a sports town like Buffalo, right. To play in Buffalo, especially at that time when you were playing, right. Cause there's not a lot of competition. There's not a lot of things in Buffalo to do. Right. <laughs> and well, well, the fans here are very passionate for both the uh, football team, the Bills, and and the Sabers, and and uh, even back when I played, we played in the old auditorium, which was uh, an older building, and and the fans were so close to us, and and 
the fans do make a difference. They, they, they can really help a team. They helped us. I know when I played that uh, they took the losses just as hard as we did. And they took the victories just as excited as we were. So, uh, you know, it, it was a great, great city. It is a great city to play in. Oh, absolutely. And I think that how big was it? Did you get excited on a home game when you knew you're, you're going to play in front of the home crowd? How did that pump you up a little bit to give you that extra kind of emphasis that to really perform well to the hometown? Well, well I think going into a game, you, you know, you'd get pumped up to it, but when you, when you get on the ice and the fans started cheering and, and, uh, you started even like, even in warm up, they were excited about it. And, and, that really helps you, you know, because uh, you felt when you scored that they felt it too, or, you know, and, and so it was a, I guess, I don't know how to describe how it would be to, to have that, all those people in the building on your side, you know, versus, you know, if you score in the road, no one cares. <laughs> exactly. You score on the road. It's like, and just that feeling. How the rush for fans, you know, I, I think about this, you know, I've done radio and television for 13 years, so I really don't have the back and forth. But when I was a professional wrestler and I played college basketball and then played also, you know, high school basketball, the, the rush of the crowd was such an amazing thing. There's no feeling like fans, right? The, the, the feel of the crowd that kind of explain that to people. I've talked to, you know, other per performers and the, this, the crowd, the rush of a crowd, How's that feel when you score a goal in front of your fans and you hear that noise? Well, it's exhilarating. You just, you know, like it, it's, it's so reinforcing and, and it makes you feel like, Hey, I want to do this again. You know, I want to, I want, I want to hear that again. I want, I want those people yelling and cheering my name and, and be backing me up. And, and, you know, it, it really, really does help. You know, it, it like I say, it motivates you even though you're motivated going in as a professional, but with the home fans yelling and screaming and getting exciting, excited about the game and the goal you scored or a play you made. So, yeah, I, I think it's uh, underestimated the value of the fan. The value, that, so that's a great point, the value of the fan. I just think the rush of a crowd, I miss it. You know, I retired from professional wrestling at 29 in Bremen, Germany, did the WWE once, but I wrestled all over the world. And it's just, it's something that you miss. You, and I made a couple of comebacks, put the wrestling boots on. You see Ric Flair, he's still wrestling at 73. So I'm 50 and I, I don't, I could come back, but I don't, I think that uh, the other people say, don't do that. But ultimately <laughs> it's, that's why I can't wait to start speaking in front of crowds down the line and have that rush of the crowd. Even when I was speaking in front of 40 people or I was on, clubhouse speaking and i got to get that feedback it's just there's nothing like it and i'm sure you've gotten the opportunity life after hockey to speak to groups what's the difference of speaking to groups of people where you get the feedback you get the questions in in front of pretty big groups compared to being in a team sport what's the difference i know you're you you definitely speak in front of groups and stuff and you really enjoy that experience what's better speaker or performer on 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 the ice well, for me, performer on the ice, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't consider myself a very gifted speaker. I, I, I like to do question and answers, but as far as uh, speaking in front of big crowds, I'm, I'm not 
very good at it, in my opinion. <laughs> you but do you enjoy it? Because I mean, you have had those opportunities. I'm sure after life after hockey to get those. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah I I enjoy it, and and you know I try and and uh, give my best. Uh, effort to try and make the the uh, talk informative and and uh, interesting. Now, Don, after life after hockey, did you know what you were going to do when you were going to retire? <laughs> well, uh, I I did. I I actually I uh, I had spent a stint in the minors. Uh, I was coaching general manager of the Pine Bridge Buck Pine Bridge Bucks, which was the Atlantic Coast League, which then became the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, and then I got I uh, hooked up with the Sabres and I was in management for 22 years with them doing scouting and, and uh, drafting. Uh, I was director of player personnel, so I involved all the trades. And uh, then I spent another 10 years with the uh, Philadelphia Flyers in doing the same thing. Oh, so, wow. So yeah, I've been been hockey a long, a long time, and uh, you know, uh, you think about things to do after, after you retire. But um, I think you know when it's in your blood, it's hard to get out, as you probably know as a wrestler. It's, it's, oh, I was I had to stop watching it, do certain <laughs> things. Now, what I'm doing now, Don, never retiring. I'm going to do it till the day I die. And that's yeah. talk show and getting to talk to amazing people like you, getting to help people grow brands like I get to do, speak in front of groups, all these things. It's I totally found what I love. And I can understand when you found what you love, you're going to stay in the uh, in the NHL for so long. So how long till you finally retired from being in the, the you know, player personnel, doing all these different types of things that you were doing in the NHL? When did you stop doing that? Uh I think about 2016. Uh, 2016. Wow. So it's not been still been that long away from that. How did you kind of recover from that? You know, if your knowledge base in the NHL, my gosh. I mean, and see, that's the Wikipedia doesn't do you justice. I, I told you, I'm going to have to have it on a show just to talk about the days of going from the minor leagues in, you know, working as a coach and different things all the way to the NHL and that story. And to see the NHL in 2016 compared to when you first started, it's gotta be crazy. I mean, thinking that you got to see Mario, you got to see Wayne Gretzky, you got to see all these amazing players. But when you were in hockey, the NHL wasn't as popular as you saw that rise. I talked to Pierre LaRouche on my show before, and he kind of explained that difference. Look at the eighties jerseys right before the penguins went to black and gold to now and how hockey is now and how it's such a you know you gotta but it must have been hard walking away in 2016 right oh yeah absolutely you know it, it, it's tough uh but you know uh the job i was doing i i think i i became a little not stale but i i i kind of was looking forward to moving away from the game and, and spending time at home and spending time with my grandkids. And, and that's when I, uh, I started a, 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 a business. I do, uh, we have a synthetic ice center. It's just a small pad, but it keeps me busy. It's 24 feet by 55 and I do lessons and we do team team training there. We're, 
we're outside in the summertime or all year all year long really because the ice is covered in a pavilion but it doesn't have any walls uh so it's outside all the time and and we do a lot of uh, individual stuff and a lot of team things that we do strength and conditioning as well because we're connected to a gym and stuff but that keeps me busy and and also uh you know i'm into mental training uh for athletes try and help athletes that are struggling or that need need to understand that the mental game is huge oh totally like, it, it, it's so underrated it's so under uh, mindsets taught. mindsets big in any any success in high level to be a high level performer in anything you need mindset right to get to that next level that makes you one out of a hundred people or you know that one percent there's just right. something you have to have well, exactly. And you, you've probably seen it in, in your sport too. There, when You've probably played or wrestled against people that were maybe skilled as you or maybe better, but they didn't make it. And, you, and you know, people say, well, why? Well, because he did not have the mindset to go with his abilities. And, and that's I why would say at that time, I didn't, Don. Okay. I didn't, I was, uh, you know, trial. So this is like WWE. So the, again, you know, it's not a real sport, but I, yeah, no. I was ready to get close to sign with Vince and I just didn't have the mindset that I wanted to continue doing it. And I walked away young and I, a lot, thank goodness, because a lot of these guys haven't lived and I want to live to your age or even 150. Yeah. So I don't want to, to put myself in that danger uh of just wrestling and just the, the the thing but you're right but i'm even talking about successful ceos i'm talking successful business owners it's all about mindset to take you to that next level if you don't have it forget it if you can't take the bumps in the road what's happening in your life outside of the rink outside of everything and you can't put your focus into what you're doing at that time how important is that don well it's huge you, you you've got you've got to I guess come up, compartmentalize things. When you go to the rink to play, that's all that matters. You know, things going on in your life, uh, they're there and they'll be there after the game. But in that game, you've got to be focused on playing that game to the best of your ability. Otherwise, you're probably going to lose your job because somebody else is going to come and take it because they have that mindset, they have the drive, they're focused. They come to play every night and, and, uh, you know, talent gets you so far, but you've got to be able to use the talent on a consistent basis to be a pro. So when you work with those athletes, what kind of, what age group are you working with the athlete part, not just the training part? Well, the athlete at the mental training, you know, we, we've done, uh, young kids, uh, 14 year olds. You know, I think the, the big target area is high school kids kids that are, um, you know, going into high school now becoming more competitive than they've ever played in whatever sport they're doing. And, and then also the, the seniors and juniors are getting ready to hopefully get a scholarship or go on to play in college. I mean, and it's powerful because they all want to play in the NHL. And who would not want to work with Don Luce? Here's the reason why. Look at this. You've worked in the you play, you're a, a Buffalo Sabres Hall of Famer. You have worked in the NHL for X amount of years for different teams. 
you understand as a coach, you understand as a GM type person, you understand the behind the scenes of player personnel. You've seen, so you've worked with, who would you say the top athletes you've worked with in your career that if we would remember today, especially for kids that are listening now that say, okay, I remember the Hall of Famers in the 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010. What hockey players have you brushed elbows with that you've worked with in some sort of way, coaching or played against? Well, you know, I played, I played when I was in Detroit, I played with Gordy Howe and he was my line mate. And, uh, I, I assisted on his last goal as a Red Wing. And so pretty proud of that. And, and, uh, you know, he's a tremendous athlete. Uh, you know, Gretzky, I played at the end of my career, I played oh a year against him and, and, you know, you get to see these athletes, Mario Lemieux, you know, another great Bobby Orr, you know, it's funny when, when I was doing the drafting, we'd interview potential draft choices and stuff. And as you, as the years went by, you'd say, uh, you know, you'd make a comparison. Well, I think you you skate like Bobby Orr. Kids go, who? No, oh, Bobby boy. Orr. You know, the, the generations change. And, you know, uh, the names that come quickly to my mind at that time, you know, or, or and Howe and, Mahavalij, uh, Esposito, guys like that, and, and now it's it's different. You know, they look at uh, like Mario Lemieux, Gretzky, you know, and the players today. You got McDavid, you got Stamkos, you, you know, you got tons of players. You got Forsberg, you got the Stastny's. You know, there's lots of players to to look up to. I think that you know, in my, my dealings, mostly it's been uh, a great player that maybe should be in the hall of fame is Alexander McGillney. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, he was a great athlete. He was a, he was a great, really, really great individual too. And, you know, so there's all kinds of guys that you, uh, brush up with and there's guys that you played against that you hated. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, but you, you think know, about the penguins, uh, you were to 2016. So you've seen a lot of the superstar penguins you've, been playing against meaning as in as a gm or working as a assistant gm or working in player personnel so you've seen them all right you've watched film on all of them the, the top stars in the oh yeah yep absolutely you know pittsburgh uh you know they had some great teams with mario and and uh yager and and coffee and and mark andre fleury you know and wow they're they great teams to watch. They're exciting. And, uh, you know, we uh, you always look forward to seeing them play. Exactly. So that's why I'm saying that if you're going to look for someone with mindset, Don, so this is, reminds me of professional wrestling. Let me give you an example. I got trained by the late Charlie Fulton, and he trained in the Monster Factory with the top stars. He knew exactly what the top stars in professional wrestling are able to talk about, things like that. If young people would just listen to you and hear some of your ideas, mindset, but also in, in strategy and what to do, they too could become a Hall of Famer like you are, Don. Where's the best place people can check you out and find info information on you? Where can they go? <laughs> I guess Wikipedia. I guess I, I, I. You have a website for your training place, or or. Oh yeah, yeah, I do. It's uh, a five uh, five star. Well, it's Rocket Sports 
performanceandtraining.com. Okay. Well, Don, it was a pleasure having you on. And I'm definitely having you on back again, especially when we look at sort of things. We could talk NHL. I have been so busy with my businesses that it's business. It's just like, oh my gosh, I don't watch sports as much as I did when I was a kid. But again, I have my memories of the NHL, the Stanley Cups with the Penguins. And to hear and speak to a legend like you is an honor. So thanks for stopping by. Well, thank you. And Neil, I think you're doing a great job. I think that the, the people out there, they get, get a chance, opportunity to help people. And it, it, it's really a wonderful thing that you do. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and also the media giant effect. I'm excited to welcome my first, my co-host, Doctor Ted Grauner, celebrity doctor. How are you, Doctor Ted? And I know you're excited about our guests. We're going to interview. I am. This is an interesting uh, book that that we're going to be talking about, and I, I, I got to get this book. I mean, just just reading the the summary of it, it's 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 got me so intrigued as to what's going to happen in this book that uh, I'm, I'm going to be ordering this after we get off. Well, this guy cracks, cranks out books like whatever. And I remember we talked uh, probably six months ago, uh, Gerald Everett Jones. Thanks for stopping by again. And you have another book and it's right there. You can just plug it right now. And we'll just get right into it. Good to see you, Neil. You yeah. know, the, the, the inspiration, for, I've done some serious books, historical fiction, you know, some literary fiction. You and I talked about that. And I, I was actually watching, I think it was like Turner Classic Movies. And, you know, I'm kind of a nut for the pre-code Hollywood stuff. And, and I thought to myself, post Me Too, do we really see depictions of men and women who enjoy being with each other, uh, who it's really more about wit than it is about meanness or revenge or jealousy yeah. or whatever. And so, you know, I studied that some more and this is a love triangle. Wow. And the thing is that in the classic Hollywood movie, okay, you've got, you've got a man who is, or men, and, and if it's a triangle, they're trying to, help a woman discover herself, help her overcome her fear of men or resentment of men or whatever. You can't write that today. It's mm -hmm. not about that. And so in, in one of the films that I looked at, the main character, she was trying to succeed at a new career, as Myra is in this one. And every time her boyfriend was in the audience, she freaked out and her, her performance just went to, you know. Oh, man. So now in this story, Mick is a Hollywood agent. It's post, it's post Me Too in that his office is entirely surrounded by glass so that everybody can <laughs> see in. Okay. <laughs> Full transparency. Brad Davenport is Myra's current boyfriend, hedge fund manager, something of a commentary on what in romantic comedy is the long-running billionaire boyfriend, mm -hmm. except poor Brad thinks that, you know, a dog might actually be more faithful than a spouse. <laughs> so he's got some hangups. And Myra, you know, Myra is a criminal defense attorney, very accomplished, uh, self-confident in that world, but very serious world. 
But, you know, she trained in bel canto opera, as actually I did in college when I was oh. an actor. Not, not because I could sing, but, but to improve my speaking voice. I, that didn't go anywhere either. But, um, but Myra's trained as a bel canto um, uh, singer. And she sings in the shower. And, uh, you know, she's at the gym. They, they just finished a ten, tennis match in this this uh, rich lady from Beverly Hills hears her singing and goes, wow, that's that's something else. And so she tips off her friend Mick, who happens to be with Spectacular Artists. That's a fictional name for one of the big, <laughs> one of the big agencies that I happen to that I happen to know about. Um, <laughs> but Mick Mick is, has got a big problem because his big pop star Chiffon has canceled nine weeks before a concert in an 18,000 seat, uh, seat stadium in Berlin. Okay. So it's like, you know, the boss told me I got to put somebody in here or the agency's going to, you know, go south on their contract and it happens. We got Vegas backers who are kind of serious guys. Why don't we just throw her in there? I mean, at the very least we'll lip sync her or whatever. Okay. So they throw My Myra into this. And you know, the whole thing is about do I do I dump a billionaire boyfriend for a singing career? Do I know I'm gonna have a singing career? Do I even want a singing career? Because if I am, maybe I'm not gonna have a life. Right. <laughs> so this is so, a great mindset, and we don't want to give away this because this intrigues Ted. This intrigues oh no, you. you won't find out whether what she wants to no, do. No, I just remember you're you're you're, you're I've been accused of that before. But I'm gonna jump into this, Gerald, and I'm I'm gonna say, man oh man, it doesn't matter if you are any age, men just don't understand women. And it's <laughs> it's it's the biggest challenge in the world. I'm glad you wrote something that could be a romantic comedy, it's making more sense of what. We need life to be like versus really what they're showing out there now, because it makes no sense, and it, it really kind of gives you an idea of each character and how it fits. What are your thoughts, Ted, from what you've heard so far from Gerald? Well, my comment was going to be on Myra because uh, an attorney who sings opera. I mean, how unusual is that combination? I mean, they're they're more into in into slicing you up with their voice in court <laughs> than they are singing opera. But it, it kind of reminds me of a physician that I met at a master's class in oboe. This physician actually majored in music in college and then went to, to medical school. And uh, it sounds like this character could have as well, you know, gotten training in, in singing before she went to law school. It's, it's amazing what people where they come from and how they end up where they're at. And so I was intrigued by how you came up with that combination. Well, and you know, that subculture, and this is really, there's a lot of inside baseball about show business in this book. And, and you know, we're coming up on the Grammys February the 5th. And, um, and you know, I, I live on the left coast. I, you know, I, I, I wrote a lot of spec screenplays in Hollywood and I, I, I took a lot of meetings. And so I really, I understand um, some of the ins and outs of entertainment law. As I say, I've been in some of those big agencies. I'm aware of how big shows and movies are packaged, which is like a technical term. And that's a big part of what goes on in this book in that, um, a big agency will not only 
put up a $25 million star for a show, whether it happens to be a show or a movie, but they they will provide the director, the producer, the, the choreographer, the lighting designer, the cinematographer, whatever. And it's been a big deal with the Writers Guild in the last uh, couple of years that, you know, the, the agencies are really acting like producers. They're taking a, a percentage from every one of the, the, the talent that they provide, but they're yeah. also getting an override as a packaging fee that none of those people participate in. So, I mean, this was a big scandal in Hollywood over the last couple of years. And in Myra's case, you've got somebody who has got the confidence. You know, I mean, she can be in front of a nasty jury or nasty judge. Uh, she defends, she's a criminal defense attorney. She defends people that she may know who are guilty. These could be like, like gang, gang leaders. But I mean, her, her, her ethic is, you know, if I do a good job and I, and I give them their day in court, if it goes against me, I don't take it personally. Sure. Okay. And so, but the idea of, then you've also got the interesting contrast that the star that she goes on for, now this is the Mercedes-Benz Arena in Berlin, okay? It's like a premiere. And the star she goes on for, Chiffon, who's kind of modeled on some of the younger pop singers today, Chiffon came from the street. She was Jamaican. She's, you know, and, and the theme of her show is like crime noir, you know, and hip hop. Well, you know, they can't put, number one, they don't want the news, the agency doesn't want the new star to be, to look like a carbon copy of the other one, because that won't go, the fans right. won't buy it. So she sings Bel Canto, they go, well, what about retro Hollywood? What about, you know, um, what about Dinah Shore and, and, and Ella Fitzgerald and you know maybe some of this retro stuff will work because you know Madonna Lady Gaga all all these uh pop singers today they they will sing coverage of stuff that the fans don't realize that's actually a very old tune and yeah. so 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 the music director and they actually have a young guy Javi who's who's um well we're not really sure whether he's trans or gay but he's 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 totally into just being a master technician, like, you know, I'll compose it, I'll arrange it, I'll slice it, I'll dice it, but I know the fans, I know whatever. And so one of the things that they do is they do some duets with the, they'll throw, they'll throw one of these classic singers on the video screen in back of her and she'll, she'll sing with them. The, just, just the way that, um, um, that it's been done, you know, with uh, uh, famous singers before. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so then it's got to be arranged so that, you know, when they cut away, it seems like Mara is singing solo instead of accompaniment and, you know, all like that. But, but then the idea is that these, these legends of yesteryear are kind of their fame is rubbing off on her. And it's like, you know, she's like, well, I mean, you know, Linda Ronstadt famously did a, bu a bunch of all, uh, their whole album of old tunes with actually Nelson Riddle Orchestra in back of her. Now, this was Dinah Shores and, and, oh, wow. and, and, um, and Gleason's uh, uh, TV orchestra, you know, big band, uh, you know, uh, whatever. And and Ronstadt, you know, did it like it was 
fresh yesterday, whatever. But, you know, as one of the characters says in the book, you know, well, that young audience of chiffons, they may they may think that uh, Ronstadt and Dinah Shore stood um, on stage at the same time with um, Nelson Riddle. It's like, you know, what's all this new again? So there, there's that risk, too. Exactly. Is that, you know, the agency taking a chance on will that work? Because the the advanced tickets are all going to be younger people who sit in the ch cheap seat up up in the bleachers. Yeah, okay. so, yeah, we're seeing. But, but then the agency that well, what the, the agency lets it leak that well, you know, the star is going to be able to go on. But then the star comes out and says, "Well, I asked her to sub for me, and, and you know, my stars aren't going to be disappointed." Well, her who's her? They won't say. And then the scalpers in Vegas start buying tickets for two and three times over face value. And it's like, they must know who it is. Oh my gosh. And so, then in the press in the press release, it says, we're gonna call this the the we're gonna call this the follow this show. Now, Gerald, now I'm gonna jump to Ted has one more question for you before we have to let you go. Go ahead, tell with your question. Fire away, oh, sir. Um, I, I guess my it's a sort of a general question. How long does it take you to come up with all the details for a book like this? And do you almost have to live it in your mind before you put it to paper? Well, you know, like I said, 13 novels, it, it's been all over the place. This one kind of flowed out once I had the situation, as, you, as it were, and the dilemma. And I want to say maybe it was a four month, you know, I, I really didn't need to research much, much because I have been inside show business so much. Oh and, yeah. We lived and, 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 and the, you know, and, and the genres of movies I pick, I mean, I picked, you know, one, you know, Roy Orbison's black and white night at ambassador hotel. Well, that's, I'm a big fan of that particular piece of, you know, that concert uh, likewise shares farewell tour, the flamenco number in there. That's how I have, Myra coached is she says, I don't dance. And then and the dance instructor says, I'm gonna tell you a secret. Do as little as possible. Step, step, <laughs> turn, step, step. And she he says, You're gonna have a dozen dancers. There's all male guys bare to the chest dancing around you. And if you move the slightest bit, it's like birds in a flock, they're <laughs> just gonna go with you. And the magic of that is the audience thinks the world turns around you because yeah. <laughs> actually she, in, in that flamenco number, Cher hardly moves at all. She comes, she walks down the stairs, <laughs> she goes back and forth. So, but no, I did a historical, historical, one of the, the biggest research deal I ever did. That was practically over 20 years. I was fascinated with this one paper, uh, uh, painting, excuse me, at Lackland. Wow. And um, it said this was about the Vanderbilts. And I thought, well, oh, wow. I, you know, I could dig into that. And so I wrote Bonfire of the Vanderbilts. And, uh, you know, the museum director still says, well, you know, that's fiction. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Gerald, you have such interesting stories. And I know you're going to have another book. You're probably cranking out a bunch. But where can pick up people pick up your book right now? Well, you can see how to spell my name on the book there, Gerald Everett Jones with two T's. Uh, Jerry Jones owns the Dallas Cowboys. That is not me. And Ger GeraldEverettJones.com. 
And actually right up there on the landing page, you can see where to get the book. There's also a comp copy of a mystery novel. That's the first in the series. Okay. There is a book list in the back end. There's a blog to read. So yeah, come on over, come on down. Appreciate it, Gerald. All right. It's great fun as always. Neil. And now, now that I've promised you, I've got to write something. <laughs> I'm write something now. All right. Thanks, thanks Ted. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. You're, you're Good welcome. questions, bud. All Thank right. you. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back. We're back to Neil Haley Show and also the media giant effect. And I'm excited to welcome my co-host, Dr. Celebrity, Dr. Dr. Ted Grellner. Dr. Ted, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest today. I am. Uh, this is going to be a, kind of an interesting uh, biology lesson, I think, coming from our chiropractor expert. Exactly. And she... Uh, based in Fayetteville, Arkansas-based, Dr. Kintinka Vandemir is the founder of the Spiro Clinic. Uh, Dr. Kintinka, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me, guys. I'm so excited to be on today. I am doing great. You know, it's interesting you talk about Arkansas. Those days of my professional wrestling career were spent in Arkansas, out in the uh, uh, Jonesboro area and different things like that. So very interesting we bring back the whole Arkansas uh, thing and now I'm in Texas, so I'm not too far from you. So specifically, tell me uh, a little bit more of your background and how you got involved in the Spiro Clinic. Okay, so I grew up in South Africa. Immigrated when I was 21. My father was a chiropractor. His life was saved by a chiropractor when he was seven, and so he just always had a very deep philosophy uh, that the body is able to heal itself. And if you approach healing, one should approach it with a holistic view, meaning every part of the body directly or indirectly is connected to every other body part. And then probably his biggest um, knowledge that he passed on to me that influenced my career was that the patient that keeps you up at night is not they're not the nine out of 10 that you're helping, but that one out of 10 case that gets away from you that you're trying to figure out. So that's the environment I was steeped in. My first eight years in practice, uh, I was pretty miserable just doing normal chiropractic was just not a good fit for me philosophically or personally. I was looking for something I really could be passionate about. And then I had a new patient and his name was Carlos and he suffered from a condition called complex regional pain syndrome. And I had to go Google it because it's so rare. I've never heard of it, but it's a very intense pain condition. They call it a suicide condition because so many patients with that pain will um, end up taking their own lives. Um, it starts after an innocent injury. So maybe an ankle sprain or surgery. And then you have this magnificent, awful nerve pain that just increases and increases and it can spread to other body parts. And most doctors will just think you're nuts because they come across, you know, no cases in their career or maybe one or two. It's very rare and there's no medical cure. And in Carlos's case, he was suicidal. Uh, his wife saved him in the nick of time. They decided to see one more doctor and I was that doctor and I managed to help him. And that was it. Hook, line and sinker. I was in for life. Wow. Go ahead, Tev, with your next question. Well, it, it seems like um, most of the conditions that you treat are those one out of 10 uh, patients that are going to keep you up at night. 
you know, fibromyalgia and, uh, uh, goodness, I, I've not heard of any, any treatment for fibromyalgia or Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, so are all of these related to the vagus nerve? I think the vagus nerve indirectly has a connection with, uh, you know, inflammation in the immune system. And so, of course, that has a tie with every other condition in some way. Mm -hmm. So how do you stimulate the vagus nerve? I mean, that's that's the treatment for when you have a hypoactive vagus nerve, right? Correct. So um, I actually joined forces with a chiropractor from Milan, uh, Italy, uh, called Dr. Manuel Mazzini, and he was famous for treating terribly herniated discs and uh, also had a destination practice. And uh, then we thought, you know, our work together could be very powerful. And we developed this technique based on our names called Catman. And so that's a technique that we use. And it literally consists of very light pressure in the upper cervical spine, bilaterally in a specific vector uh, in the area of the vagus nerve. And often you'll have a patient with chronic intractable pain report that their pain could drop from a 10 to a two or a zero within minutes of applying this technique. And it doesn't stick in the beginning, but it just shows you how incredibly powerful that nerve is. Mm. Uh, Controlling inflammation in the central nervous system and the nervous system period. How many, how many uh, people do what you do in the country? Do you have a lot or a lot? Well, the Catman technique is a small portion of my system. Um, we've probably taught about 40 to 50 doctors now. We treat, we teach physical therapists, medical doctors. We don't just limit it to chiropractors, but uh, we just started teaching when COVID happened. And so that slowed us down a little and just recently last year, so it resumed it again. Mm-hmm. Have there been any issues that have come from COVID that you've started to treat? You know, any persistent chronic conditions? Yes. So I hear from my colleagues that there are a lot of long COVID cases um, starting to come through more and more, and they have great success with vagus nerve stimulation. In my practice, because what we do is so specialized for these specific nerve pain conditions, I am noticing that there is an uptick in symptomatic uh, EDS, Ehlers-Danlos, in complex regional pain syndrome. Um, So really, I think COVID is having a massive effect on the the increase in how often you see these conditions. Mm -hmm. Mm. Probably because the immune system is compromised. Yes, immune systems compromised. You are dealing with, you know, massive inflammation over a long period of time, and together it's just a perfect storm. Hmm. Wow, interesting. You know, it's it, what is the ultimate goal? You want to ha- teach lots of doctors to treat this, be able to treat this? Is that well? Mm, that's that's a. Uh, um, something I do because I believe in the cause and passing this work along, you know, when I'm no longer there. So I think it should be shared, but first and foremost, my number one passion is to create an alternative uh, as far as treatment goes for patients in chronic uh, irretractable pain. Right. And that's your practice and people that come see you, do they come see you all over the country based on Uh, 
Sorry. Um, yes, actually, our patients come from literally all over the world. Uh, we're very popular in Australia for some reason, Norway. We have someone from South Africa here right now. Uh, so all over the world, but mostly all over the U.S. Wow. So you're bringing a lot of people to Arkansas. <laughs> yes. When we first speak to patients and we tell them they have to move to Arkansas for three months, they just think that's the worst thing that they've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So now, but isn't Deepak Chopra living in Arkansas? That's what I heard from somebody. I believe um, Alice Walton from Walmart, the heiress. Yeah. Uh, is starting a holistic health center. And um, I mean, I'm speaking under correction, but Deepak, Dr. Deepak Chopra is involved with that center. And that is only half an hour away from us. Is that in Fayetteville or outside of Fayetteville? It's in Bentonville where uh, Walmart's Hmm. headquarters are. Oh, that's crazy. I'll have to look into that more. Great uh, point. I always drive through Arkansas. I think about those different things and I'm going, you know, towards Memphis, driving from Texas, from uh, the Texas. So that's really interesting. You should come visit us. Yes, we do. I'm definitely going to have to, I'm definitely going to have to come visit. What are you trying to tell page people that are suffering from this? What should they do before they see you? Kind of give us like a little bit of a quick tips. Uh, I have someone that does a treatment like you do with involving concussions. And he's like the one and only, there's no one else. One of my clients, one and only that can do this in the whole country. Like he's like changed the world when it comes to concussion treatment. seems like you're doing the same when it comes to treating these diseases. So what, what should people do right now before they come see you? So um, I think I would answer that question first by saying, what not to do, um, you know, which is very, very important, especially patients with complex regional pain syndrome will sometimes go through, gosh, dozens of surgeries. I just started treating uh, one of the whale wars from Discovery Channel's uh, captains. He had a vasectomy and then um, anyway, it's surgery that went bad. And then they tried to reverse it and did 27 corrective surgeries that continue to make it worse. Um, Another popular medical treatment is um, to suggest a spinal cord stimulator pretty immediately when that should really be the very last ditch approach. So before you do anything invasive to try to control the pain is to tackle it, um, you know, holistically, try every other tool first and exhaust your options before you permanently change the anatomy of the body and damage the way it's supposed to work. Uh, There are lots of things you can do. You know, um, I just did a podcast with Dr. Dan Murphy. He's a very famous nutritionalist and chiropractor that teaches at Life University. It's a chiropractic college. And he said, one of the easiest things research has shown that sometimes taking omega-3s, fatty acids, it's just as effective as opioids at controlling some of these nerve pain conditions and bringing your pain down. Don't drink tap water, you know, making sure that you're drinking clean water. Uh, a simple food IgG sensitivity test that shows you what foods you're sensitive to so that you can start decreasing the inflammation brought into your diet. 
um, avoiding processed foods and glutamate is a huge culprit linked to chronic pain, you know, MSG, but it can hide under different labels that uh, interferes with nerve function and will elevate inflammation and pain. Do you have any experience using red light therapy uh, with any of your patients? Yes, doc, that's a great question. So we actually use red light therapy every single time we do the vagus nerve stimulation right over the vagus nerve. And mm -hmm. so we use that daily because our patients get that procedure twice a day. Um, and then we do some cold laser things too. But I'm a big fan of red light therapy. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, if you look on Amazon, there are tons of red lights for sale. And you're yeah. looking for the wavelength between yeah. 650 and 850 nanometers. Uh, yeah, I actually have one. You do? It, do you use I it? I do. It's amazing. I, I was shocked by what it does. And uh, there's a book out there, and I can't remember the name of it, but the author, he goes through the, a number of conditions that he's he has experience with it. And it's, it's, a, it's a secret a lot of people aren't aware of. Yes, you are right. And it's such an easy thing to start using. Just shine it on the pain. So uh, I'm so glad you asked that question. All right. Well, where can we find information on you? Where's the best place to go? So our clinic is called Spiro, S-P-E-R-O. It means hope in Latin. So uh, we have a big social media presence to post tons of videos, success cases, Spiro Clinic on Facebook or Instagram. Our website is www.thespiroclinic.com. Uh, and we would love to have you visit and look at our work. Well, we <laughs> appreciate you coming by. Great information and great success, continued success for you. Thank you so much, Neil. It was lovely meeting both of you. You're welcome. Thank You're you. listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Velarde Show. I'm excited to welcome the program, Mike Velarde. Mike, what's going on, man? How are you? And we hey. just continue to have interesting conversations, and you're bringing another one of your political prognosticators. This is where I get my news from, but I'm going to jump right to the biggest news I feel. And this is because I want to hear from Republicans okay. based on what happened with the airlines. Were we hacked, Rob? Were, was, it, was it a cyber attack? And they're covering it up. You know, one, one of the beautiful things about cyber is that attribution is always a challenge. If somebody knows what they're doing, there are no fingerprints. But did you know it was on the 11th, too? So that's kind of, you know omniscient of 9-11 by that cyber by by the airlines to be knocked down the faa specifically on a corrupted file mike i think it's bs i think we were hacked i i think it shows the incompetence of pete Buttigieg and the biden administration how can you have outdated commuters the faa with that many lives and in in and around Imagine if it would have been worse. It's like putting us in danger saying, by the way, we're not spending money on anything anymore. Go ahead and hack us next with all your hackers in Russia and do remote viewing and all these stuff on us because literally we're not spending the money yet we did in the Carter administration and the Reagan administration on hackers and different things like this. We're just letting people just come in and just any way they can. You know, what you know, one, one, of, one of the tricks is not to take the bait. And the number one priority is safety. And I'm pretty happy to hear that the system worked to the extent 
that if you don't know, shut it down, take no risk. And the inconvenience was minimal. But I agree with Mike. We do have what appears to be a great deal of incompetence, along with arrogance, inside the current administration. And Neil, you're absolutely right. If these are not the priorities that, that we recognize as a nation need to be funded, then you know we get the government we deserve. Cybersecurity needs to be funded more and outdated computers in the government need to. You're thinking, okay, I don't think the FBI or CIA that has outdated computers. I don't think the White House, when you go underground, has outdated computers. How can the FAA, Mike? Well, listen, the IRS has outdated computers. I mean, they're like 20 years behind the time. Oh, yeah. Just you go ahead and send a paper mailing. You're never getting it back. Right. And, and the reason for it is they cut funding right now. Now, of course, they they went the other way and they want to double the size of the IRS. But it, it, it comes down to priority. What 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 is a Pete Buttigieg focusing on? Is it infrastructure? We got the infrastructure money. How is he spending it? He's in charge of the FAA, is he not? Well, what? you know, a lot. sadly, a lot of the spending priorities in this administration don't deal with infrastructure as a priority. They deal with inclusion, diversity, a lot of the stuff that pushes their agenda into social justice and leveling the playing field. And what winds up happening? Planes stop. And why won't be cooking with gas if they had their way? Hmm. Rob, you're absolutely right. I mean, Buddha Judge is talking about how racist some roads are. How ridiculous is that? How could the roads be racist? Could somebody please explain <laughs> this to me? Okay, so I don't want to go into that. That's not the big thing. It's just our security. Our safety and our security is the biggest thing. And I think that what comes back to is big government spending money on things, but yet not hiring the right people to run the infrastructure. Money doesn't always mean the best. If you're not putting, you have the emphasis of believing in the government. Think of Russia back in the day in the Soviet Union. They had all the money in the world yet because everyone was getting paid the same. People decided to build any building and it would collapse because they didn't care. There was no caring. And so honestly, if you have a government job, you're not losing that job, Mike, are you? No. No. There's no, no such thing as, oh, you, you're going to be fired because your performance isn't to this outdated thing. You have this cushy government job. That's it. It goes back to the bottom line. What happened? This is what I want to know. Was there a cyber attack? Because I know that Russia and China are smiling if it is. Because guess what? If somebody was able to hack into the FAA, what else can they hack into? We could literally lose our, all of our power infrastructure ever. I would now be looking into every electrical power grid in the country that's under computers and find out if they do have the right thing to stop ransomware, to stop certain cyber attacks. Rob, do you think we have the money or not? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's about financial capital. It's about human capital. And it's about being able to apply the right people to secure process, infrastructure. Technology is great, but we cannot go with artificial intelligence. We can only seek to augment human intelligence to make sure that our safety remains a secure priority. Hey, Mike, what else is on our agenda today? 
Well, we got to talk about the Biden files. They got a big picture of the Biden, the, the, the box of files in his garage for the last few years. Come on now. You can go on down down Delaware right now, guys. And you can go hang out and have a conversation. Did I ever tell you I interviewed Biden's brother? Uh, this is the involved in the education field back 10 years, eight years ago. He's like, hey, before, you know, you know, Joe Biden was vice president. He's like, hey, yeah, he just calls all the time, Uncle Joe. I mean, my brother Joe, he just calls on the phone and just answers and all this stuff. So maybe, yeah, that's probably how it works. You just go in there, hey, have a little conversation. And there's a bunch of files. Well, they did, they did appoint a special counsel who seems to be kind of a uh, mainline Republican, you know, an establishment type guy. Rob, what do, what do you think about the uh, the special counsel that was appointed? I, th I think Merrick Garland got what he bargained for and recognized that he better put somebody uh, balanced and professional because this is this is turning out to be a systemic problem. Um, but as we mentioned uh, before the show today, Mike, uh, the the tagline here is, is really. Uh, what Politico quotes Obama as saying. I think, Mike, you have that quote down pat. What What is it? Yeah. Never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F things up. <laughs> An exact quote. There Except you, the F, you, you got to fill in for what word that is. There you go. And and you know, what I, what I think we're really taking uh, a glimpse at here uh, is the scenario where um, Joe Biden can't make it another two years and they know it and they also know that the successor to joe uh, is unelectable unfundable because she's so unlikable uh, right and so what i think we're really seeing is a, a set a setup uh to be able to take something quote unquote benign uh to be able to, to trigger the following dominoes the scenario I'm about to describe was laid out months ago, and it is where Joe is unable to fulfill his duties under the 25th Amendment. But Harris steps up, and who does she promote for VP but our friend Newsom in California? Because uh, what, we, what we know is happening is that in 2024, no senator will be electable when competing against governors. And so you'll see Newsom on the left. You'll probably see Murphy jump in on the left. You know, the Democratic Party recognizes the old school is not going to be able to compete and raise, raise money. So th this is what I think we're taking a look at because even the media is on board with, hey, Joe, Seriously? I, I agree. I, I mean, but and they have no bench. Who's on the Democratic bench? Who's coming up to pinch in? Newsom may, Newsom's a terrible candidate, but he has national recognition. Listen, he had what he has, Mike, is he has a charm, a smile, and an aunt named Nancy. Um, and so uh, what what we're going to and, and, and California is a huge state. We did see looking at California in our recent election, we did see pickups on Congress, Republican congressional seats. So California is an important state. Uh, Newsom can do more 
and do better than Harris. And so they have to really realign uh, the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Yeah, that's what it is. And, And the other thing about California, too, is they've also lost.